This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom, welcome to Practical Spirituality here in Asia Torah in the old city of Jerusalem. Overlooking the Western Wall, today we're discussing, we're discussing Judaism's issue with women. <laughs> uh, this, cla- this class is brought to you by a question that was asked by someone. What's your first name? First name. Uh, her first name is complicated, <laughs> and and where are you from? Is that also complicated? Where are you from? Ah, uh, you're Israeli. <laughs> oh, I love Israelis. I love Israelis. I love Israelis more than anybody. I think because I travel a lot. I travel a lot, and I just made the grave error of flying United. You know, who happened to break guitars, and I, I didn't. I you know I, we were just in America and and uh, me and my whole family we were at SeaWorld and we were at Magic Mountain Six Flags and and we didn't get I didn't get SIM cards for everybody so I have my own SIM card because I'm in America like half the month but I didn't get SIM cards for everyone else and so but that's okay because you just go up to any random person because every single person in the world has a cell phone except for of course my family in America and you just ask them for it and you're just making a free phone call because no one pays per call and but the answer was simply no by everyone unanimous the answer was no unanimous whether they were in shopping centers whether at SeaWorld whether at Six Flags whether they were you know just at a, at a, in a foot mall whether they're in a Starbucks no matter who they asked the answer and no matter who asked they tried different people maybe some of my daughters were more charming than my wife or something but the answer was just simply no my wife tried to um, tried to interview one of them and just say like what is the issue here because you're like one of like 15 women in a row that just said no to me and and the woman said the answer is no, and walked and walked away. <laughs> so uh, now I fly a lol, and I'm obviously I fly a lot, so I'm I'm well treated there. But they don't even know necessarily that I'm a gold, you know, gold frequent flyer. They don't know they know it in the lounge because they see me every three weeks. But but they don't know it everywhere else. They treat you nicely, and 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 there's no real rules. I mean, they're rules, they're regulations, but they're like any other Jew that, you know, rules are suspendable based on the circumstance. And so anyway, I just flew United and it was like, I mean, just even like somehow they decided at the gate that all the, all the carry-ons have to be checked. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm flying premium class. No one checks a premium class person's bag. It's only so many of us in the cabin. There's got to be room. Like, how is it possible? And there's not. He's like, I could put you on a flight tomorrow. It's you or your bag. <laughs> and I felt his steely, steely eyes, like Amalek or the Nazis. And, and it was crazy that he spoke to me that way. And I just got through saying I'm a premium traveler, which means, like, you're supposed to pretend that you okay. like me and care. <laughs> anyway, that's what he said. And I said, well, I'll just go on to the plane, check above my seat to see if there's room, and I'll come right back. If there's no room, check my bag. No big deal. <laughs> and he's like, you're not getting on that plane. <laughs> and he stopped me. Anyway, I mean, those of you who know me a bit, which isn't too many people here, but do you think my bag was over my head or checked in the end? Over your head. Yes, it was over my head in the overhead <laughs> compartment. But I did let him check it because I wasn't going to miss my flight. I, gave, I let him tag the bag. I go right onto the plane, find all the, you know, there was plenty of room. There was nothing in that had been over my head. 
how did I finally get my bag on? Because every United flight has an Israeli uh, flight attendant. And I go up to the Israeli flight attendant, and I'm like, what's going on in here? And he's just like, I'll take care of it. <laughs> and, and he got himself in trouble. He got himself in trouble, and he was frustrated. He, put, he brought my bag from out there and put it in my bin. I never touched my bag. Like, he was like huffing and puffing over what he had to do to do this for me. And I don't know this guy. I've never met him in my life. And he risked his own reputation on that flight and with the, with the Newark people. Anyway, what this has to do with Jews not liking uh, women, I have no idea. <laughs> How do we even get on this? I'm the master of digression, but w what's that? Oh, yes, what a pleasure to be in Israel every time I'm in Israel. And every time... Yeah, I love Israelis. And, and you know what? The Israelis in Tel Aviv are probably the nicest Israelis in the world, but you have to look like me to get that kind of treatment. <laughs> because every Israeli in Tel Aviv, when you ask them something, because what are you asking? You're asking for directions. They're like, how do I find this? How do I find that? And they think you've just popped off of some like m news story that they just watched on the media against the Haredim. And this is their... Because ch they hate... They hate they hate the community of people who look like me because we're parasites or whatever they want to call us. And, and you know, we don't give a lot to the state, yet we take a lot. And, and so, and they can't stand it that someone who looks like me is someone you hate because I'm not very hateable. I'm a rabbi. And so when I ask directions in Tel Aviv, every time the guy, he says, follow me. And I'm like, are you going that way? He's like, I wasn't but follow me. And next thing I know, like 15 minutes later, I'm still following this guy. And he's just taking, he's going to take me himself. This is his own little peace process between the Haredi sector and the Tel Aviv secular sector. And it's going to be his own little, like, he needs to, he needs to do this. And I don't complain. I mean, I feel a little bad he's going out of his way for me, but, but it's like, it's nice service for sure. And they're all like that in Tel Aviv. Like, what can I do for you if you look like me? Is it like that for everyone else? I don't know. <laughs> Not sure. Not so much. I don't. Okay. Now, Jude Jewish, the Jewish issue uh, with women. So the Jewish issue with women is one of the things that we got to understand that's a misconception is that this is generated by the men. Okay. This, it's generally, the issues with women is generated by the women. Now, so that's one distinction. Is it the men or the women? So it's generally generated by the women, just because Jewish women are almost like OCD strict about their Judaism in ways that men wouldn't even think of. And so, like, for example, they have this movement, this, like, kind of culty movement of wearing a shawl. Like, we got women wearing shawls now and, and you know, full shawls. We have burqa ladies in the Jewish, Jewish community. And, and we got, uh, they call them tilons. Uh, there's ones that even have the pointed hat on, so it's just one big shapeless missile. And so the, a tilon, I think, is a word for missile, I think. Um, so they're called missile ladies. And um, who's under most of those are usually converts um, or definitely people not raised observant almost every time. Um, generally OCD and, and, like, freaked out. They're almost always English-speaking, <laughs> just kind of funny. And, I mean, these are people in, like, Jerusalem, like in Meisharim, like they, like you're not expecting English coming out of there, but it is English often, and and it is a, 
it is definitely female generated that kind of stuff but it's just to know that now let's distinguish it further because there's the OCD crazy Jewish lady and then there's the and then there's just the Jewish lady who won't who will not let our people fail will not let our people fall she's going to be more observant this is why for all you bums out there you guys is that's why there's a general principle that you always marry a woman more observant than you because wherever she's at, where's you're going to wind up? Okay, she's the woman holds down the fort as far as the level of Judaism. And see, men are men are bums, you know, and men will try to get away with whatever they can. And and sh- your wife's going to just be like, she's just going to be like, what's up with that? You know, like get that smartphone out of the house, or what are you doing to our kids, or you know, and. And so the Jewish women are going to stop you. You know, you're going to come sliding home. What's your name? Raziel. Raziel, you're going to be some rich guy. And you're going to come, like, doing, like, a sliding your car, one like, doing, like, a side slide into your driveway in your little Tesla or whatever it's going to be. And Friday afternoon, like, 20 minutes before sundown, quickly get a shower, fix up your dew, and say to the whole family, Shabbat Shalom. <laughs> you know? You're going to go pray, come back to the table, all your wife's kids are all at the table. And then right before you make Kiddush, your wife says to you, Raziel, why don't you tell the kids a Devar Torah on this week's Parsha? <laughs> That's just her way of just going, putting you in ice water. And you're going to be like, you're going to be like, what Parsha is it? <laughs> What Parsha is it? Because you you know you've been paying no attention to such things, and and you're just Mister like you know business guy, and and she's gonna be like, okay, kids, go play for a while 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 Daddy learns the Parsha, <laughs> and then as you walk by like this to go get a chumash, she she's like, it's it's, it's Parsha Shmos, it's Parsha Shmot, yeah, and you're like, thanks. Anyway, but that's our wives. That's our wives. You'd think, like, I'm exempt from getting thrashed by a Jewish woman, right? Because I'm a rabbi. Like, obviously, I'm not going to get thrashed by my wife, a Jewish woman. What do you guys think? Who says that my wife, because I'm already a rabbi and, you know, very observant and serious about Torah, mitzvahs, and service of God and stuff like that. What do you say? Raise your hand if you think my wife still thrashes me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, you all, it was unanimous, which means you all have Jewish mothers. Okay? So, yes, of course she thrashes me. And, and she recently pulled me over. And when my wife pulls me over, it's literally like getting pulled over by a cop. And she pulls me over one Sunday morning, and she's like, it was like, woo, 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 pull over. So I pull over, and she's like, can we talk? And I'm like, oh, gosh, this is trouble. And, and she's like, She's like, the way you and your brothers come home on your mountain bikes Friday afternoon, you know, did I say my brothers? The way you and, the, and your sons come home Friday afternoon, it's a winter Shabbos, early Shabbos, you're covered in mud, you come power sliding into the door, you bring your muddy bikes into my newly sponged house, then you would think with 10 minutes before Shkia, you're going to get in the shower, but no straight to the fridge open the freezer as well out come mugs from the freezer you all pour your craft beers and you pound your beers in about one sip high five each other 
Then you jump in the showers. And then, like, literally as the sun's, like, hitting the horizon with, like, one of my daughters counting off the seconds, we're, like, making our payas. It's like 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, good Shabbos. Because you're not allowed to make your payas on Shabbos. She's like, can't you just show our family that Shabbos is important by taking it in a little earlier? Can't you, make, can't you show our kids that, that Shabbos isn't what stops you from doing the things you love, but Shabbos is the thing you love? And of course, I was in cold water at that point. I was just like, Tss. And I'm like, yes, mommy. So anyway, it's generally the women who are generating all this. Uh, I just want to say one more thing about thrashy Jewish women. And that is that, that Jewish women are, are genetically predisposed to thrash their husbands and, and uh, children. And, uh, and the reason they do that is because it's only according to the Jewish women that Jews survive. So, for example, we left Egypt in the merit of the Jewish women. The men were serving idols in Egypt. The Jewish men were gone. It was the Jewish women that refused to serve them. It was the Jewish women that believed the spies on their way into the Israel that made us have to spend 40 years in the desert till the whole generation died out. But the women didn't have to die out. Only the men had to die out because they were the ones who believed the bad report. It was the women who didn't serve the golden calf, which was our lowest day in all Jewish history. Not one woman bowed down to that golden calf. It was the women who stayed chaste while in Egypt a place that was of the worst, you know, the worst depravity when it comes to uh, physical intimacy. It was the worst. And it was the women who stayed chaste in Egypt. So, the, and, the, and it's still the women today, very interestingly, that while the Jewish men, well, let me back it up a little. If you're married to a Jewish woman and she's secular, meaning she didn't get a good Jewish upbringing with her, you know, with actual Judaism in the upbringing, so, I meaning it might have been cultural Judaism, but cultural Judaism is not Judaism. So, they, a woman who was not raised Jewish, but in a Jewish home, Jewish home, she thrashes anyway. And this is one of, how, one of the reasons we know that Torah is true and that we've got this collective subconscious reality about the Jewish women is that if a, sec, if a woman was not raised in Jewish law, meaning she was raised secular, she will still thrash. But she thrashes for random stuff. She, you just get randomly thrashed. And this, is, and this has a direct correlation to, not, not a, uh, completely, I mean, I don't want to overly generalize, but it does have a direct correlation to Jewish men in metropolitan areas of the world who prefer to marry Gentile women. I mean, if you ask a Jewish secular girl in L.A. and say to her, would you prefer to marry a Jew or a Gentile? She would say, I'd prefer to marry a Jew. If you ask the men, he would say, uh, I don't know if he'd be honest and say he wants to marry a Gentile, but generally they want to marry their Filipino massage therapist <laughs> who's, who's just happy they came home. Okay? It could have been a week later and they're just like, oh, welcome home. You know? Whereas a Jewish woman, you come 10 minutes late, you're going to be hearing about it for the next two hours. So... So the, she has complete amnesia that you've ever done anything for her, ever. And, and if she's Hungarian, it's going to be like, she's going to, after she fries one side, she's going to flip you and fry the other. Yeah? 
and uh, and uh, Hungarian women are, are super nuts when it when they get when they get cruel. So the um, so next time you see a Jew in Williamsburg, you know, just just look at him and go, "You poor thing," you know. So anyway, I'm getting your question. I'm getting your question. I'm sorry. I'm. A, The, let me just let me just finish this let me just finish this part and that is that the that in the end um, the men don't want to marry Jewish women so what happens is the Jewish women become rabbis and cantors and Torah readers and and presidents of synagogues unprecedented in Jewish history now if, if you interview the woman who became a rabbi she would just probably be having some crazy feminist epitaphs or something of why she we're, why should the men do it? I'll, I'll do it. But, but what I believe is going on deep down, genetically inside of her, is she's not going to watch the Jewish people fade away. She doesn't know that. She herself is like, if men put on tefillin, I'm putting on tefillin. If men will read from the Torah, I'll read from the Torah. Meaning she'll have some kind of like feminist, you know, like bylines. But, you know, and I, when I, pun intended on the bylines. And... <laughs> And she, um, that's, that's the, uh, oh no, that's another one, <laughs> sorry. There's another joke on that, on those lines, but I better stay away from those. The, um, anyway, the, what was it? I'll tell it anyway, since I don't want people's imaginations going crazy, is, uh, what does it say? When, when the, in the Orthodox wedding, the rap, the, when the Orthodox wedding, the mother of the bride is pregnant. In the conservative wedding, the bride is pregnant. And in the reform wedding, the rabbi is pregnant. <laughs> Artificial insemination, obviously. I'm out of control officially. <laughs> anyway, the um, anyway. When a woman is observant, though, she thrashes in a way that's important. And that's why all you men should marry a Jewish woman who's more observant than you. And, uh, and one last thing, if you're, if you're watching this on, like, YouTube or something and you're, like, having trouble finding, you know, like, if, well, let's just say it like this. We have a saying, date, if you want to marry Jewish, date Jewish. If you want to marry Jewish, date Jewish. Don't be the loser who says, oh, I'm just going to date Gentiles, but I'll marry you. Wrong. Wrong. That, that is the recipe to cut off 3,331 years of, of our tribe's history. Is, that's a bad formula. If you want to marry Jewish, you only date Jewish. There's no Jewish girls to date in uh, Kansas City. Okay, well, go for Shabbos in the Upper West Side of Manhattan once a month. It's a short trip. It's a couple hundred bucks for a flight, if not 200, 300 bucks if you know how to shop. And get there for Shabbos meals. I will set you up for the meals. And if you need me to, but you don't even need me to, just go to any shul. They'll take you home. You'll be in a table filled with Jewish singles at it. They have an epi- they're having an epidemic of Jewish singles there. And they, uh, there's plenty of people to meet there. And they'll be happy to have some fresh blood. Okay. 
Now, regarding the, the Jewish women, so it's usually the fault of the Jewish women, not the fault, but it's usually the Jewish women causing things, but there are actual laws, so let's get off of Jewish women being the cause of the, of the, um, of Jewish women seemingly being put in some kind of backseat mode. Um, by the way, I just want to say on the subject of women in the back seat, there's buses in Israel where the women sit in the back. Now, who do you think wants the women in the back? The men or the women? The women. The women. Uh, let's close the women's issue there, right there. Who puts the women in the back? The women. Why? Why do the women want to sit in the back? And by the way, how do they get to the back? Through the back door. Through the back door. And the, the Jewish observant women got the back doors to open in our buses. And, and, they, and that became the rule, for, at least for all the observant communities and all the buses that take you to those communities. The women get in the back door. Why do they want that? And the answer is, is they want their husbands to be focused 100% on them and not on other women. Well, who said their husband was in the bus? And the answer is, it's, her husband's probably not on the bus, but there are other p women's husbands on the bus. And if you want your husband to look at you, well, then don't be a woman who walks around drawing attention. And you understand, you know, it's, it, that's the way it goes. It's the same thing with guys who watch, you know, who are loose clickers online. You know, you're going to have daughters one day. You want your daughters to be good girls? Well, treat someone else's daughter with some respect and don't click on those sites. You understand? And the same thing, same thing with other husbands is you want a woman who's pure to you or you want a woman who's you know been in a used car lot for the last 10 years the answer is you'd like a woman who's pure to you so so why would you date someone else's wife because every woman you date that's not the one that you'll marry is someone else's woman and who do you think you are you know that is that is you know if she were already married to the guy who god intended her from mount sinai to marry You'd be an adulterer now. Okay, so they're not officially tied yet. But nevertheless, you, you just do not belong there. Period. You do not belong there. And, and, the, um, and, the, and it's someone else's wife. And if you ex want to marry a woman who's you know, more or less without a huge history, which would be good for both of you because your hearts will be less you know, through the egg slicer, you know, you'll have more to offer from your heart, which is what we want in our marriages, is to give each other hearts. You've got to have a heart to give, you know, and that's going to be based on what you've been through beforehand. So if you want that, so don't be involved inappropriately with females and until you're, you know, and then, and then hold yourself back till you're married, and then, and then you can have it, and you'll merit it. You'll get it as, as a reward. For that, and uh, and also don't be a snob who thinks, oh, I can only marry the purest girl. Also, because if you're that pure, how do you know she didn't earn you? Meaning maybe she did have a time where she wasn't so pure, but she did this massive tshuva. And God's reward for her massive tshuva is you. Or vice versa, a girl who only wants this pure guy, but but this guy did a massive tshuva. Because God prefers tshuva over everything. I mean, tshuva's like, it was created before creation. Because God knew there's no person who doesn't fail, you know. Every man and woman sins in life. So therefore, tshuva is what, that's the weight of a person, is the tshuva they do. 
The weight of a someone who is naively virtuous is not what God's looking for. It's nice. You're at Sadiq Gomor. You never did anything wrong, but you were a bit naive to begin with. Whereas someone who falls and gets up is someone who has, that's virtue. And then when that same situation kind of appears again for you and you pass the test, that's a person with some muscles. That's a virtuous person. Naive virtue is not virtue. And so you never know what you may be rewarded for your tshuva and you may not, you may be the one that she's being rewarded with is your purity or her purity getting rewarded. Now the, or being the reward. Now the um, women drawing attention, women drawing attention is taking away from the Holy of Holies. It's taking away from the Holy of Holies. Now you might be thinking, what does it mean the Holy of Holies? Like the Temple Mount out here? Exhibit A, the Holy of Holies? No. That was destroyed by the Romans. The Holy of Holies I'm talking about is, is the intimacy, both emotionally, spiritually, and physically, between husband and wife. That's the Holy of Holies. If you want to understand any of the ways that Jewish women are related to in Judaism, all you have to remember is the Holy of Holies. That's the holiest of all. That's, that is where it's all at. The husband is like the Kohen Gadol. The wife is, is the Holy of Holies itself. Their bedroom is the, the actual inner chamber of the Holy of Holies. And, and that, is, um, that, that, that is the ultimate, ultimate service of your life. There's no higher service that any of us will do than that. And therefore, we protect ourselves. We protect ourselves regarding internet. We protect ourselves regarding, regarding um, uh, how we, uh, what we look at, how we present ourselves, and most importantly, we pr- we protect how we draw other people's attention, so that perhaps that person can have the purity of the holy of holies in their marriage. And so. And so what could easily be in a very shallow, in a very shallow rendering of, you know, feminist doctrine as women taking the back seat, which would be super shallow and just slogan signaling as a, 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 from, you know, 70 years of feminism is, you know, in one second you understand the depth and the depth is true intimacy. True intimacy is not if, if you have to be someone who's treated like, like a Torah. How do you treat a Torah? You know, first of all, you can't see the writing; it's scrolled up. Secondly, it gets a belt. Next, it gets a jacket. Next, it gets um, you know most Torahs have a big silver uh, breastplate that covers it, covers the jacket that's on it. Often put in a crown. Teres Bala, the crown of her husband. And, and then she's put into an ark, which is usually made of wood, but there's usually a safe inside there, just for a fire retardant safe with a combo lock, so it can be opened on Shabbat, and, uh, or a key lock. And, it's, um, and then it's got a curtain, and it's just like 
things of that holiness are put all the way in, all the way inside. And that's why King David said the words, Kol bat pnima. All the glory of the Jewish woman is within. <coughs> is it within. Kol bat pnima. But the word, it's not all the glory, because the word kavod can be glory, but the word kavod means respect or honor. It's from the word kavod, it's heavy, like demands respect and honor. Whereas men get a lot of their kavod at work, like, like, uh, um, uh, what did you say? Raziel, at work. A lot of the men's respect, and men have to work on themselves over that respect they get because they do have families at home who would like a little of their time as well. Um, but the man's respect often comes externally, whereas the Torah tells us, King David says in his Psalms, that the, the all, kol, all the kavod, all the respect of a woman is internal. It's within. And you want to hear something amazing? This is the weirdest thing ever. There was a Kabbalist who lived like, I don't even know how long ago. Uh, please, if you're watching this, and you, you're some of my email uh, people who help me uh, with my classes, um, uh, please tell me how long ago he lived. But there was a great Kabbalist called the Karmana Rebbe, and he has a massive commentary on like all of Torah, and it's a Kabbalistic piece, uh, this massive commentary. It's Kabbalistic. And, and guess what? On the actual sentence, Kok Voda Bata Pnima, you know what he wrote there a couple hundred years ago or a hundred years ago? Or I don't know how long ago he lived, over a hundred years ago. You know what he wrote there? He wrote, Shanat is in Tehillim, in his Tehillim from like a hundred years ago. He wrote, Shanat, Taf, Shin, and then I forget what it was, Ayin something. Taf, Shin, it, it, 57, 70, whatever. I forget what it was. Tafshinai and something. That's what he wrote. The year of 57, 70 something. I forget. 72 or 73. What happened that year? On that year, the, there was a rabbi, and there's a lot of controversy around this, by the way, but there was a rabbi who went to India and he investigated the wig business because observant Jewish women wear wigs. And some, like my wife, wears scarves, but the vast majority of them wear wigs. Um, there are many Sephardic women wear only scarves. Um, in the Ashkenazi community, 98% wear wigs, probably. Um, and some even, like, you have to. Like Chabad, you have to. And why that is, I'll never figure it out. Um, they say it's a Kabbalistic thing from the Zohar, that if a woman shows even one strand of hair, it's uh, once, once obviously married, but if she shows even one strand of hair, I don't know, the end of the sentence, but it's not pretty. And, uh, and so, meanwhile, she goes in some $3,000 super foxy long shetel, uh, which draws a ton of attention and makes every man think she's single. So, so, the, so the whole thing's like nuts. You know, I'd rather see one strand of hair and keep her in a scarf. So the, but that's, that's the deal over there. And, and the, um, again, though, it sounds like I'm judging them. I don't. Every place has its traditions. Chabad has their traditions. 
sons has their traditions, uh, you know, Bells has their traditions, Satmir has their traditions. I'm not here to judge traditions at all. Anyway, the, um, so a guy, a rabbi went to India because that's where some of the best hair is for the wig trade. He went and checked it out. And what's he find? Now, again, this part's open to controversy, but I'm just going to tell you what happened. Is he discovers that in the Hindu tradition, you know, which is idolatrous, the, many of the poor people of India, and there's some really poor people in India, um, they don't have anything to offer their gods. But at least women could grow their hair for two years until it's super long and then have it shaved off and hand it to the priest to offer it up to the god. And so the priest takes the hair, you know, says abracadabra, Kalamazoo, and with the hair and says this here, this here, this here hair goes to God or whatever their God is that takes hair, the hair God. And then what does he do immediately? Sells it to the wig trade. Now, who's the wig trade today? The Jews. Jews. You know, and it goes automatically to the to the observant Jewish community in these, you know, beautiful drop dead, you know, stop you in your tracks wigs. Again, making all the married women look single or making elderly women look undignified because, you know, <laughs> I think you, you stay with, you know, a 20-year-old's hair till you're about, what would you say, 60? Older? 70? Like, eventually, if she, like, wakes up, she, I mean, you meet, you meet some of these ladies who are in their 80s and they're still in 20-year-old hair, but, but eventually they get one that, like, looks a little more, you know, of the dignity of a 75, 80 year old woman, but some even don't do that. What? Perm? Purim. Purim wigs. Anyway, and then it winds up on some, some like very observant Jewish woman's head. Now, you guys tell me, without even a lot of background in Judaism, are we allowed to use something that was offered up to some god? No. <laughs> no. You're not allowed to use that for nothing. Nothing. The only thing you can do with that is burn it. Yeah? If you have an excess, even an accessory to idolatry, not, I mean, the offering, forget about it. But even if something was an accessory, meaning it was like on a, it was the stand holding up the, the, the little bowl where they put the fire, that stand needs to be thrown in the Dead Sea to be, you know, to rot in the salt water. If you wound up with that stand, you've got to make sure it never gets used, so you have to throw it in the Dead Sea and let it get eaten by the salt water down there. Um, but we're talking about the actual thing that was offered itself. It wound up on all the Jewish women's hair. So what did the Jewish women do? What do you think these ladies did with their two, $3,000 wigs? Yeah. You should have smelled Jerusalem. You should have smelled B'nai Brak. You should have smelled Brooklyn. There were giant wig fires. Giant wig fires. It was, I mean, it was just horrible. And I remember seeing my neighbors like walking out, you know, in, in scarves, you know, or other kind of hats, snoods, these like socks they wear on their heads. And, and they're like, you know, those things are only for like sleeping or, or, you know, when you're just angry and someone woke you up and you got to like go out of your room and yell at your kids or something, you know, like they, they, they're all walking out. All the neighbors are walking out and just like, it's like Lagbo Emir, you know, they're just throwing their wigs onto the fire. 
which is a very holy thing to do. And then they had to find wigs quickly because, and here's the saddest part of all. Here's the saddest part of that. I'm very good at reading energy. They felt ugly for about a month, six weeks, till they could all get their new wigs from a kosher source. They felt ugly. You can, you can always tell when someone feels ugly because you, you'll see someone who, whatever, you can tell who feels ugly. And they felt so ugly. And it was so sad to see them feel ugly. You know, because if you see a woman who wears, who wears a scarf for, you know, like she doesn't wear a wig. And I don't know if you've ever gotten a chance to be in Williamsburg where most of the women go, not most, but a lot of the women in Satmir go in scarves. And in addition, they don't wear makeup outside their houses. And, and you will see some of the most radiant people you have ever seen in your life. Not that I'm looking, but, but their, their radiance is way more radiant than any other community. Their, radiating, their radiance is way more radiant than the women in the wigs and all the makeup. Not to mention the, the, the clothing that's probably a little too tight. Oh, it's time. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.